Hello and welcome again to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. I'm Pastor Hamilton. Good to be with you and glad you're joining us. We're going to continue in this episode with our study entitled The Seven Essentials of Salvation. The first uh, two essentials we've already covered and we're going to try to cover the third one today. Just by way of review, remember these seven essentials are trying to present seven essential truths that have to be accepted, have to be believed and embraced in order for a person, a sinner, to become a Christian. And see, these are non-negotiable. These are things that cannot be left out. The first one was creation we studied a few weeks ago. We have to believe that we were created by God, we're accountable to God because He's our Creator. Everything begins and starts with Him. Last week we studied the second of the seven essentials, which was Revelation. And that was was not the book of Revelation, but the fact that God, the Creator, revealed Himself through the Scriptures, through the Bible. The Bible is God's written revelation to man. God's revealed himself in many ways, especially through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. But for us who were not there when Jesus came some 2,000 years ago there in the country of Israel, our revelation uh, from God is the scriptures that we might know who he is and what he's like and what he expects of us. So now today we want to move into the third of these seven essentials, which basically they flow just together in in a pattern. They're like seven Uh, links to the same chain, seven rungs to the same ladder. You have to have all of them together. And this one comes right on the heels of Revelation, and it's the word legislation. Our third essential is legislation. Now, we know what legislation means. Legislation refers to the establishing of laws to keep peace and order in any society. And since our God is a very orderly God of design and and order, he established laws to govern his creation. And these laws really become the basis of our accountability to God. Now, we have to remember, all of us grow up understanding that we're under the authority of others. We talked about that in our first point under creation. But the way we're under God's authority is through his laws to mankind. Now, let me say first that laws always carry with them a choice uh, of those that are governed by those laws. Uh, We make choices every day, whether to obey or disobey the laws in the country we live in, the state we live in, uh, someone living in a foreign country, doesn't matter. Every society, every culture has had laws, and people living in that culture or society have to keep those laws. And there's always punishments prescribed for breaking those laws. And so with God, he gave us free will. The Bible says that God makes us choose. We get to choose. If a person wants to live their whole life away from God, not believing in him, not recognizing him, not obeying his laws, of course, they can do that. But here's, here's the, the, the catch. When they die, since God gave them life, he's going to require them to give an account for their life. And they're going to have to give an account, all of us will have to give an account according to God's laws. A short little verse, but a powerful one, is Romans 14, 12. It says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's very true. Now, as we talk about legislation, let's go back and talk about the first law, the first legislation there ever was. 
And that was when God set a law for Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, it was a simple law, we would consider it. It was just one uh, precept they had to obey, just one command. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the Garden of Eden where God put them. Now, you say, well, why did they even make a law? Why did there have to be a tree like this? Why did they have a commandment to keep? Because to choose to obey God and to love God, there has to be a choice not to. And so man had to have a choice. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, had to make a choice. Sadly, we know what their choice was. It was the wrong one. And it plunged them into sin and its punishment. And then all of us who've come after them. Uh, we're sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice. And that first law led into what we would call the universal law. Once Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, we know then a universal law uh, would come uh, to govern all human beings from then on to the end of time, to the, to the last person who's ever uh, given accountability to the law and given an opportunity to be forgiven of their sins. This law, the universal law, applies to all people. Now, that law can really be summed up in what all of us are familiar with. It's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Now, for us in America and us in our culture, if you're old as I am, you remember the famous movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston and him playing the character of Moses and coming down off Mount Sinai and throwing down the tablets of the law and the whole story from the book of Exodus. But we want to go way farther than that and talk about these Ten Commandments, which really become a summary of all of God's laws to mankind, that which every human being is going to have to give an account for. Now, before I go through each of the Ten Commandments, and we're going to do that, I do want to say a couple of things by way of some preliminary points about this universal law called the Ten Commandments. First of all, this law is going to show us how holy God is, how righteous, how perfect and pure He is. But secondly, it's going to also show us how sinful and selfish we are. It's also important to know that every one of us is going to be judged by this law. Also, number four, I could add that this law, the Ten Commandments, sets a very high standard for us to live by or to come under. Because we're not only going to be judged by our actions, but by our words and by our thoughts. And we'll see that as we develop these Ten Commandments and discuss each one of them. And then, lastly, I can say by way of a preliminary point about God's universal law, we are accountable to God's law from the time we come to an age of accountability. That, that age is not a set number. It's not a set age for every person. It's basically when any human being, man or woman, comes to a place of maturity where they understand they are accountable to God and to others, that what they do, their actions, their words, even their thoughts, have consequences. And from that point on, every one of us are going to be judged by these laws. And by the way, God's laws don't have any statute of limitations. Uh, your rap sheet, so to speak, for breaking these laws starts at the age of accountability and goes until you die or the Lord comes back because we're going to be held accountable through all of our lives. Now, one more thing about the law, and I want to 
preface what we're going to say about each of the Ten Commandments by giving this little basic illustration. I think the law of God, the Ten Commandments, serves to be a mirror. It, it's like a mirror to us. Think about what a mirror does. You get up each morning after you've been sleeping, you go into the bathroom, you look into your mirror, you see that some things are not like they should be. Okay, you need, you need to clean up. Okay, you need to wash your face and edge, you need to comb your hair, brush your teeth, all things that we do every day. Um, now, when you watch yourself in the mirror, look at the mirror and see yourself, you don't take the mirror off the wall and clean yourself with the mirror. The mirror's not there to clean you up. It's there to show you where you're dirty, show you where you're kind of out of place. And that's exactly what we're going to see with the Ten Commandments. It's like a mirror. It's going to show us where we've messed up. It's going to show us where we've been disobedient, how we've disobeyed God. And we're going to see at the end, and this will lead us into more of these truths in the next several episodes, that you can't be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, just like you can't be cleaned up by the mirror. The mirror is only meant to show us how we need to get cleaned up, and we go elsewhere, whether it's a comb, a toothbrush, a rag and soap, to get cleaned up. We're going to see that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, shows us where we're dirty, but we have to go elsewhere to get cleaned up. And that'll lead us to the great message of the gospel later on. But for now, let's go through these Ten Commandments. Now, we know that the Bible teaches that sin literally is breaking God's commandments, His law. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, I'm turning to it now in my Bible so I can read it correctly without misquoting it. In 1 John 3 in verse 4, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, our sin is literally judged by us breaking God's laws, these Ten Commandments, which are a summary of the moral code, the moral laws of God. Now, you've heard these. I've asked many people over the years when I've had time to witness to people and engage people uh, with the gospel. I've shared these Ten Commandments, and I'll ask them, how many of them do you know? And some people know a few more than others. I, once in a while, I'll even meet someone who may know every one of these Ten Commandments. But it's not just a matter of knowing what they say. We need to examine our lives in view of them. How are you or I living up to these Ten Commandments? That's what's the most important point. Now, the first commandment, and it's, these are found in Exodus chapter 20. They're repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, by the way, you can look at them on your own time. I want you to know where they are in the Bible. But we know them and, and need to examine our lives by them. The first one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is the King James, of course, using the thous. But this is what the first commandment says. Now, what does it mean? Well, to understand how we break uh, or keep this commandment, uh, think about this word God. It's a little g, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The, the word God means one that you worship, one that you serve, one that you adore, you, you, you put yourself under and submit to. So in order to judge yourself by this commandment, you, you have to ask yourself, have I always made the true God, the creator God, the God of the Bible, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Scripture, have I always made him first in my life? Worshiping Him, submitting myself to Him, honoring Him? Well, I haven't. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll see you haven't either. All of us have broken that commandment. The second commandment is very close to it, and it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Now, 
when we think of a graven image, immediately our minds go to someone who has created a god out of a statue. You know, you've seen and I've seen these statues of, of Buddha or other statues uh, uh, in cultures like in India and other places where they have uh, religions like Hinduism, which are polytheistic. They believe in many gods. They've created figments and, and statues and icons uh, of their gods. Well, in Western society, especially in a place like here in America, very few people are going to break that commandment, the second commandment, by making an image. But here's how we are all guilty. Whenever we think up in our minds and imagine a God that really doesn't exist, we make a God that fits our lifestyle, that lets us live the way we want to live and that we're comfortable with. Anytime you think up or, or imagine a God that is not for sure the God of Scripture, that in any way contradicts the God of the Bible, that is a false God that you have made up in your own imagination. And when we do that, we break this commandment. We have literally thought up a God that doesn't even exist, but we worship him because we want to. A good example, I've had people tell me, for instance, when I've discussed things like the existence of hell. Hell's not a popular subject, and a lot of people don't want to admit or even uh, believe that there could be a place like hell. But they'll say things like, well, my God wouldn't create a place like hell for people to go to. And I try to, in a nice way, in a, in a loving tone, still say to them, friend, your God doesn't even exist. You've made this God up in your mind who wouldn't create a hell. We have to go by what the God of creation, the God who revealed himself in Scripture, has said about himself. And if you worship any other God but the God of Scripture, you have made up a God and broken the first and the second commandment. Let me go to number three. The third commandment says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, we know what the sin is called. It's actually called blasphemy. And blasphemy has many parts to it, actually. But it's basically this, in a nutshell. It's being irreverent with the name of God. It's taking God's name out of its proper context. Remember, God is a title to worship. This deity, this God, he's given many names in Scripture. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. We know things about God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. That anytime we use his name, it should have reverence and respect and worship in it. We should never take his name as a cuss word, as, as, a, as a profanity, a vulgarity. Uh, we should never use his name without the proper respect due to it. Say our president came in to a church service that we were having, and I was up in the pulpit. Uh, would I say to our president, hey, Joe, how you doing? Good to see you. No, I wouldn't do that because his office as president deserves respect. I would call him Mr. President like everyone else does. And that's the same with God. Anytime you and I take God's name irreverently, we have broken that third commandment. Well, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, the Sabbath day was the seventh or final day of the week. And when God created all the universe in seven days, we see it in the account in, in uh, Genesis 1 and 2. We know that he created in six days and rested the seventh. And the word Sabbath simply means rest, a day of rest. Now, in the Old Testament economy, of course, the Jews had their Sabbath on Saturday. 
the final day of the week. But since Christ rose from the dead on Sunday, the early churches and early Christians like the apostles began to set aside Sunday as the day of worship. So the whole argument about when we worship is really settled in the New Testament. We're not living in the Old Testament economy anymore. We're New Testament Christians. And so Sunday has traditionally now become the day when Christians set aside a day of worship. But still back to the command itself as given uh, by God originally, it really is saying that you and I are to take one day out of our week. Now it's Sunday. Used to be Saturday. That's okay. Still the principle's the same. We're to set aside one day of our week to worship God, to set aside our regular routine of life, work and recreation and errands and, and spending time with uh, relatives and friends, all that kind of stuff we like to do. We're not to do that on the Lord's Day. It's called the Lord's Day, actually, in the New Testament. It gives it that phrase. So examine your life. Have you set aside one day a week during your life since you've been a uh, mature enough to understand your responsibility before this great God who created you? Have you kept that commandment? I know I always haven't. Before I became a Christian, I didn't care less about church or Sunday. I just did my own thing, worked on Sunday, went here or there on Sunday. But that's still breaking God's commandment. The fifth commandment. By the way, we have a break in the commandments here. The first four commandments all had to do with our relationship with God in some way. But now the fifth commandment through the tenth really takes in our relationship with others. That's an interesting kind of separation or balance. First four are all about God. And God has to come first. But the last six are going to be about our relationship with others. And so the fifth commandment is so important. It's our first and greatest relationship we have in life. And that is our parents. And so the fifth commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother. The word honor is a good word. It, it, it has more than just obedience, although it does include that. It means respect. We're to give the proper respect and recognition to our parents. Now, while a child is under their parents' roof, I think a child is, is responsible to obey God's one commandment to children. We used to always tell our kids this. They only have one commandment to keep. It's in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Yeah, one commandment, but it has a lot to it. Uh, but while a child lives under their parents' roof, they're to obey their parents' rule. It doesn't say just for Christians. It doesn't say just if your parents are doing this or that. They're to obey their parents. Now, when a child grows old enough to go out on their own and start their own family and go out and make their own living, get their own place to live, however they choose to leave home, then they're not responsible to obey their parents in the direct sense as they were when they lived at home. But now the honor part kind of kicks in too, because you're to honor your parents no matter what time in life that is, no matter what station of life you're in. Uh, your parents may uh, already have died and, and, and hopefully went to heaven if they were Christians. You still honor them, right? Now, you may not always agree with what your parents uh, did when even when you were a child, and as an adult, you may not always agree with advice your parents give you, and, and they're not always going to be right. There's no perfect parents. My wife and I are not perfect parents. We're not going to be perfect grandparents. But back to the principle, whenever we have not honored our parents and we've disobeyed them, boy, we live in a society where there's just rebellious children, disobedient kids, kids that throw tantrums and hate their parents, run away from their parents, uh, kill their parents. God forbid that happens. 
And so it's all part of breaking this fifth commandment. Let me move on to number six, the sixth commandment you're familiar with, thou shalt not kill. The word means to murder, of course. It doesn't mean all killing is wrong. Uh, the word kill means, of course, to murder premeditatively. Uh, taking the life of someone else in self-defense of your own life or family is permitted. Uh, taking the life of another in war when your country is being invaded by an aggressive uh, enemy is permitted. Taking the lives of animals to eat and to provide needs for your body is permissible. It's all through scripture. Now, there's a lot of freedom there. If a person doesn't want to eat meat or that, they're allowed not to, but we can't be judged by that. So, in other words, there's a certain kind of killing that is permitted. But in this command, it's about murder. Now, when I get to this sixth commandment with most people, they'll say, wow, it's kind of they, you know, they breathe a sigh of relief, so to speak. Well, I've never killed anybody. Well, Jesus Christ, who's God, these are his laws. In the New Testament, Jesus took several of these laws and extrapolated them, expounded on them in a greater way. And he took this law in Matthew 5 and said, if you kill someone, uh, or let me go back, if you hate someone without a cause, in other words, there is a righteous indignation. We ought to hate certain things because they're wrong. We ought to hate when kids are, are abused. We ought to hate when children are aborted in the womb. We ought to, there are certain things we ought to hate. So not all hatred's wrong. But Jesus said, if you hate someone without a cause, which would be things like prejudice and, 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 and uh, bigotry, uh, just because they got on your nerves or did something you didn't like. If you hate someone without a cause, Jesus said, you've already committed murder against them in your heart. And so this sixth commandment doesn't just take place when someone takes a weapon in hand or their bare hands and kills somebody. No, when you hate someone without a justified reason, and that's a very uh, specific uh, point there. If you hate someone without a cause, you are already a murderer in your heart. Think of how many people all of us have been guilty of hating others. People that just got on our nerves, people we just despise. And if we get away with it, we'd like to do away with them and get them out of our lives. That's murder. We're a murderer when we do that. The seventh commandment, let me go on. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is the one commandment that involves the sanctity and beauty of marriage. God created marriage to be one man and one woman for life. Monogamy. And all sexual expression outside of marriage is not only forbidden in the Bible, but condemned as a sin in the Bible. So, sex before marriage, premarital sex. Adultery, where people in a marriage go outside of their marriage to have a sexual relationship. Pornography, looking upon uh, uh, another person who's not your spouse with lust, homosexuality, all forms of sexual expression outside of husband and wife is condemned by this commandment. Now think about that. Jesus took this commandment and expounded further on it. He said in Matthew 5, if you look upon a woman with lust who is not your wife, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Think of our society, especially a Western society. It's amazing how much garbage, smut, is being spread through sexual content, graphic, 
Now people on their phones are being addicted to pornography, and it's in all advertising, it seems to be, and the allurement of sexual attraction. And by the way, the, the Bible's not against sexual attraction. God gave us sexual attraction, but he gave us marriage to enjoy that and to find fulfillment in it. I like to say this, sex is like fire. When fire is put in its proper place, uh, like a furnace, like on a stove, like out at a bonfire and you have a fire, fire is very needful. Hey, you can't live without it. It's a beautiful thing. It warms, it cooks, it does all the good things we need it to do. But it's contained. When you get fire outside of the contained place where it's supposed to be, it's destructive. It destroys things. It burns houses to the ground. It burns whole buildings to the ground. It, it kills people. Every, every year, people die of house fires. Why? Because fire got out of its place. See, sex kept within marriage is a beautiful, wonderful thing. The Bible is not anti-sex. God is not anti-sex. But when you take sex outside of marriage, it will destroy your life. And that's the seventh commandment. The eighth commandment goes on and says, Thou shalt not steal. Now, we know what stealing is. How, how many items would you have to, to steal to be a thief? How many times would you have to steal to be a thief? Just once. It doesn't matter the value of the item or how many times you did it. You could steal just something small off a, uh, you know, at the store, or you can, you can leave work and say you left at a certain time and you're cutting corners. You can, you can rob the government by cheating on your taxes. These are all forms of stealing. God says you're to, you're to respect the possessions of others. And, and, and the Bible says that thieves shall be judged and punished. So even though this, this stealing might seem lesser than some of the other commands, it's still given by God. Thou shalt not steal. Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours, no matter what the value? Then you're already a thief. You and I, I've broken that commandment. When I was a kid, we used to, to go out and steal jewelry to give to girls at high school when I was in high school to try to impress these girls, you know, make them think we were great or whatever. It was stupid, but we did it. And that was many, many years ago in my life. But I was still guilty of it. Let me go on to number nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, this primarily has to do with lying. Bearing false witness. You know, we might think of lying. Isn't this a little thing? I mean, everybody lies, right? I'll ask people when I'm going through these commandments, I'll say, how many times have you lied in your life? Well, they'll look at me strange like, I don't know, I can't even count it. Well, that's the right answer. Yeah, we can't count it. I've lied more times than I can remember. I've forgotten more lies than I can even remember I've told. But that doesn't mean it's right. Just because everybody does something and everybody does it a lot doesn't mean we're going to get off the hook from it. Do you know that in Revelation 21 and verse 8, when God gives a list of all the people that are going to be cast into the lake of fire to be punished forever, he says, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Wow. So even on the, on the level of murderers and thieves, he says liars. Now, God is concerned about how you and I talk and what we say. And Jesus said one time in the Gospels that every idle word, even little little flipping things we say. Every idle word that a man speaks, he shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. So one day we're going to have to give an account for our words. Have you broken that ninth commandment? I have many, many, many times. Well, the last one says, thou shalt not covet. And thou shalt not covet is, to me, the summary commandment of them all. Because the word covet, covetousness, or to covet, 
used in Scripture quite a few times. It really, it has the meaning of greed, of course, to be greedy. But it really ultimately can be defined as selfishness. Selfishness, right? When you covet something, you covet it, you want it. You're greedy, you desire it, you're envious, you're jealous, you want it for yourself. And in a way, selfishness is the ultimate sin. It's what motivates every other sin. I think the reason covetousness was put uh, number 10 on the list of the Ten Commandments is because all the nine previous commandments flow right into it. They, that's the motivation. When you don't make God your, your only God, when you try to make up your own God, when, when you take God's name in vain, when you don't keep the Sabbath or set aside a day for God, when you don't honor your parents or when you hate others, when you uh, lust after uh, someone who's not your spouse, when you take something who's not yours, when you lie, it's all selfishness. Selfishness is the key sin of all. And so thou shalt not covet. Now, let me close our episode by asking you this question. As we went over those Ten Commandments, how do you think you've done? How do you think you're doing with those right now? If you'll be honest with yourself, friend, and you have to be honest because God sees everything and knows everything, all of us are guilty of all of those commandments. It doesn't matter how somebody else lives. You can't judge your life by someone else. We could always find someone who lives worse than we do. But that's, that's, that's not the point. God's not going to judge us by how someone else lives. He's going to judge us by this standard, the Ten Commandments. And you know that you might do good on one or two of these commandments or a few of them. You might think, well, I don't break those. Well, I'm good. No. Do you know what James 2.10 says? For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. They're like ten links of a chain. And you're holding on to that chain. No matter which one of those ten links break, you're still going to fall. And so you got to keep them all if you were to think you were going to be judged and found righteous for all of them. One final point. The greatest error that people make is to think that they can be right with God, that they can be forgiven of their sins, that they can get to heaven one day by trying to keep the Ten Commandments. None of us keeps them, friend. All of us breaks them. And just like I said earlier, if, if you try to use a mirror to clean yourself up, when you see yourself in the morning in the mirror, it won't work. It's not made to do that. It's just made to show you where you need to clean up elsewhere. And so as we close our episode, remember the Ten Commandments show us our guilt, show us our sins. And that's not all, because the next point we'll cover in our next episode is the consequence of legislation. When you break a law... There's always a price to be paid. And so I'll keep you in suspense, hopefully, till next time as we look at our fourth essential, which follows it. Thank you for, for joining us today. And remember this great motto, and I hope you'll live your life by this, conviction for truth and compassion for people. That's how God wants us to live. The Lord be with you. We'll see you next time.